Welcome to Conversations with Quiet Leaders. My name is Juliet Morris. I believe there is greatness in leading and building teams through powerful listening, what's being said and what's being heard. In this podcast, you'll hear from quiet leaders who are being more bold, more brave and more comfortable with who they are. I am delighted to welcome Richard Etienne to the podcast today and now as a personal branding coach and an award-winning filmmaker, he has really explored um, new opportunities. Uh, One of them was being an avid reader of The Guardian and now runs uh, workshops, particularly for introverts. So I'm hoping you'll share some of your nuggets and wisdom with us today, Richard. So welcome. Lovely to see you again. Thank you, Juliet. Yeah, it's great seeing you again. You do lots of different things and your background is fascinating. And I know you're very humble in your approach, (laughs) as many introverts are, I have to say. Tell us a little bit more about you and your background and what you're up to these days. Thank you for that lovely intro, um, Julia. I appreciate it. And uh, I guess to get an essence of what I actually do and my background is to to visit my website, uh, richardetienne.co.uk, because you're greeted with three very short sentences. You know, I film, I write, I talk. And that is it. That is me in a nutshell. I, I gravitated towards filmmaking because I was sat one day with my late father in a living room. I was quite young, probably late teens. <clears throat> and I was flicking through the television while he was sat at his bureau. And without looking at me, he had his back to me. He just said, can you, can you just find something to watch? And uh, I was like, uh, but there's nothing on the television, nothing I like. And then he, he quietly spun his chair around and just looked at me and said, well, why don't you just make something you'd like to watch? And that was the beginning of my yeah filmmaking career, and I, and now I I create documentaries, and then my most recent one, my Dominica story, which is about my mm. family's heritage, uh, won the um, best documentary award at the British Urban Film Festival in twenty nineteen, or the Buff uh, Awards uh, that BAFTA accredits. So yeah, really pl- proud about that. <clears throat> And in terms of writing, uh, yeah, I, I just I've, I've been a journalist. I used to work for for MySpace, if you remember those uh, guys, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, and and now I do public speaking. Uh, in terms of, as you said earlier, uh, my Guardian masterclasses. As an introvert, how was this place for you? You know, you you're a filmmaker, you write, but you love public speaking, which for a lot of introverts would fill them with absolute horror. Tell us how that came about then. Why do you love it so much? <laughs> so I think, and I, I really believe other introverts can can attest to this. I I don't mind the tension when I've asked for it. So if I'm in a restaurant and it's my birthday and then all of a sudden the lights go low and a bunch of people start singing happy birthday and I've not asked for that, that would freak me out. That is, that is a tension I did not ask for. However, when it comes to public speaking, especially when I'm talking about something I'm deeply passionate about, and I know that what I have will add value to somebody else's life, I that supersedes any sort of um, fear that I have. Now, look, I'll be nervous, I'll be, I'll be anxious, I'll be excited, and I, 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 I'm very open about that in my in my masterclasses, and I actually have a small section where I talk about the steps. I would have taken 
would have taken to actually get to that place of calm. And these include things like if it's in person, asking the organizer for a photograph of the room, how many people are, you know, as it, are expected to attend. I do my breathing exercises. I, I, if I have, if I'm in person, I go to the toilet and I do my stretching and, you know, power posing and all those yeah. things that yeah. many people have heard um, various times. And, you know, it, it is because I am always thinking about the value I can add over my myself. It is more mm. give before you take. I, I describe it as almost like finding that stillness that aligns you to what you're going to do. And that's that's beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. Let's take you back to childhood then. So you talked a little bit about your father and becoming a filmmaker, but how did you recognise or did you recognise you being quieter or preferring your own space or, you know, or whatever that was in childhood? Certainly. I, I, I have a brother who's three years younger than me. However, he was a little bit late developing in terms of his speech and he was very extroverted, so he would always go off and find his own thing to do. So I was often left alone to my own devices. And so I used to love making puzzles, reading, and all those kind of solitude-type activities. However, at school, those things didn't really... Uh, <laughs> they weren't really seen as as valuable assets to, to, to relationship building, right? So I remember very often the children in my class would visit my home after the school had finished and uh, would you know, knock on the door, ring the bell, whatever, and ask for, for me to come out and play with them. And I, I always remember hearing, like, Mr. Etienne, Mr. Etienne, because my dad would always open the door and, you know, can Richard come out to play? Is, you know, is, is Richard around? And I, I, I would always be, like, hiding in my room behind the door, just out of view and, and just basically signaling to my father no like miming to him or something and you know it's it's because you know I I just I'd seen these guys like moments before we're going to see each other again for another six seven hours I I I always valued that quiet time that I had over spending uh, my social currency um you know after hours and I'd taken that into you know, I took that into my my workplace in my career, and as we all know, the you know the workplace is a is a hub of 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 social activity, and there's always, especially pre pandemic, there was always that you know, are you free for lunch? Do you want to come out for drinks for this? Da, 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 da. <laughs> and it was just too much for me, and I and I, I thought there was something wrong with me because the majority of people around me were very, you know, geared towards the social activity. And it was only until reading uh, that very well-known book now from Susan Cain, uh, Quiet, where I, I realized I was part of this much wider community of, of introverts. And, uh, and now I'm I'm happy to you know share my story with others who may also feel a bit isolated or a bit othered um, in the workplace. I read the book. You you liked your your solitude time, your quiet time your time to play and explore and do the things that you want to do. So how did you then enter the workforce? Because you talked a bit about work, but how did, how did you enter that and then manage your own needs, if you like? So I think I did the ultimate introvert thing in the workplace and I worked for myself. <clears throat> the reason behind that is because I, I lost my father quite young. So I was 
I was still in education and I chose to then not pursue higher education because I just wasn't in the right headspace after he passed away. I thought, what what is it that I could do? You know, what value could I add to the to the economy? <laughs> and so I uh, started creating promotional videos for new businesses. Uh, it was actually I, I quite I'm quite, I'm quite admirable the way actually I, I started this because I remember going to the job center. I was claiming benefits at the time, and. I think it was, I was only two months in and I was like, you know, but this is really embarrassing. I'm really, I just, I just don't want to do this anymore. And uh, I remember seeing a poster on the wall and it was to give grants to new businesses. People want to start, you know, new businesses. And this was before these creative websites, allowed you to create your own websites. It was, it was at, at a time where creating a website was incredibly expensive and YouTube, I think, had just begun or something like that, or probably not even yet. And... I said, you know what? Could you match me with every single person that gets a grant so I could create a promotional video for them? And they were like, yeah, sure. So in essence, I did a deal with the DWP and a Department for Work and Pensions. And yeah, that was my job. It was it was very localized. It was in the um, South South London area. And it was great. And, and, and from there, I just continued working for much larger organizations until Her Majesty's government at the time tapped me up. And then I moved into the cabinet office to create uh, promotional videos for the Commonwealth heads of government meeting. And then subsequently after that, uh, Downing Street came knocking as well. So yeah, it's it's been a it's been a, a wonderful journey where I followed my heart and was able to still stay within a place of comfort while stretching my comfort zone by entering into areas that were very new and and quite stressful at, at times. But uh, I, I learned quite a great deal. I, I'd like to think that I've added a lot of value to 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 the country. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I love the way you describe that. Um because I think that is incredibly important, that connection with your heart, but also the the time with your childhood, you know, having been inspired by your father to go and play and explore and create things if you don't like what you see. And that alignment and that connection is beautiful. And you've created that almost like it's your zone of genius, isn't it? That's what you love to do. So is, is filmmaking something that you'll carry on doing? Is it a passion of yours still? I work in communications uh, predominantly. So I my my nine to five, let's call it, uh, outside of everything else, is with a, an organization called Elsevier. It's a data and analytics uh, publisher, I, I suppose, in the healthcare uh, sector. And as the director of internal communications there, I have pushed the video agenda, let's say. So mm. their internal communications are turned from you know, predominantly written communications to now one of mixed media and my wonderful line manager. Um, I probably won't name check her in case she doesn't want doesn't want to be, but she's <laughs> amazing. Uh, she she created the first ever internal communications audit, which showed actually that our colleagues wanted to see more more video, more mixed media. And that made my heart sing because now I'm working with the CEO and a lot of her communications now is, is you know, video led and she's she loves it. 
which makes me happy and everybody you know looks great and yeah it's it's something that will always stay with me and maybe now it's more from a directional position and I'm kind of you know lowering the ladders for others to to get into this industry or at least this 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 line of work because everybody has a story to tell and there is just a way that is unique to film that really pulls a chord um, you know I'm not taking anything away from podcasts and other media but for me I'm a strong advocate of of the visual image and I'll, I'll keep pushing it why do you think that is I I believe that is because of the added sensory touch that vision gives and and, and the reason why I mentioned this is because when we went into lockdown let's let's talk about lockdown season one right and we were at home and we went onto this platform called Zoom for the many for the first time, even though it had been around for a while. And a lot of people had their cameras off. Mm. And you know, it, it's not it wasn't new to us. We had this thing called teleconferencing before, which was fine. But there is something about that connection, all of those kind of social cues, those those nuances that are missed if you are unable to see a person, an individual. And even that's lost on Zoom. You know, it's a lot better in person, but where that is not possible, at least with film, one can be transported to anywhere in the world at any time and even outside of the world. And you can really get uh, an additional grasp of the emotions and nuances involved uh, uh, in that particular piece of storytelling. Because even now, like this conversation now is, is storytelling and any any interaction that you have with another human being a story is being told and there's something about that added element of vision that's just irreplaceable for me. So how do introverts put themselves in front of the camera? Because I recognise what you're talking about. You know, I'm very happy, very comfortable being at the back, you know, making sure my clients or businesses or teams are in front of me. They've got, you know, they've got the spotlight. But if you flip that around, it feels intensely comfortable and it's something I have to rehearse and, you know, do that. So how do introverts put themselves in the spotlight without feeling like it's, you know, this this big glaring light zooming in on them, making them feel exposed? I love this question, Juliet, because it's something I also mentioned in one of my masterclasses. And this one is about unlearning, you know, unlearning what we, what we know to be true or think we know to be true. And one of them is unlearning the way that we present our value. And if one is afraid to step into the camera or reluctant to, there are steps that we can take in order to go from small to big. So right, right here, right now, I'm looking at a very small green light at the top of a laptop. And at the moment, it's just, just you and me. However, with that same green light camera on top of my laptop, I could speak to a thousand people, 10,000 people. I don't have to see them, but I'm here. I could put a script on my screen if I wish. I could I could really make it as comfortable as I want. I could wear pajama bottoms. You cannot see them. I, I, I could be <laughs> in a comfortable room with my ring lights. And so that that is an, an, an easier entry into it because there is something about that mental rehearsal, that muscle memory, so that as you become more comfortable in this arena, we can level up. We can now do the same thing 
in a studio with a green screen and some other back staff production crew around you. Again, you're still looking down the camera lens, but now it's, you know, it's outside of your house. It's somewhere else in, in a more professional broadcasting setting. And then you can have a hybrid section, a bit like Question Time on the BBC. We mm. have a few people in the audience. And then you still look, you know, speaking to millions of people at home. And you can slowly, slowly upgrade. And then, you know, you have TED Talks. And then beyond that, you're doing everything. You're doing stadiums, right? It's it's all to do with practice, repetition, and, and yeah, not trying to run before you can walk, in my opinion. From experience, uh, most people won't see that you're really nervous or feeling uncomfortable that's always on the inside isn't it it's hardly ever portrayed on the outside and like you said there's ways to cope with that do you prefer being um behind the camera or in front of the camera now i i still prefer behind the camera however i you know i, I wouldn't say no if someone stuck me in front of the camera but just give me some a heads up and <laughs> <a> brief <laughs> i like to be as prepared possible when I'm in front of the camera but yeah behind you can kind of freestyle a bit and, and encourage other, encourage others to, to be their best self so yeah I'm okay I'm easy. So you talked earlier about some of the things you've done the films you've made the work and the master classes the impact you've had you've you hope that you've made the world a better place talk to me about that what impact is it that you want to make in the world? To answer that question I'd like to mention an initiative that I started two years ago called Black Introvert Week. And it's uh, it's a UK-based um, organization. There is a US version as well that a good friend, Jerry Bingham, started mm. also two years ago. And the purpose of, those, of, of, of Black Introvert Week UK is to first train teachers at early learning you know, levels of education to make the classrooms more uh, accessible and fair and comfortable for both introverts and extroverts. Because in those early years is when one's personality is being formed. And I think it's really important that pupils, children feel included, heard, seen, and all of those wonderful things that, that we all appreciate from that early age. Because I, I do remember going to parents' evenings with my father, big gym, all of these different tables of all the different teachers. Uh, and, you know, my predicted grades being waved in my father's face as being really good. And then there's that, you know, other word, but Richard is very quiet. Richard doesn't put his hand up in class. And that's made to be seen as some sort of negative when my father would just say, well, look, I, I don't see anything wrong here, right? This guy is going to go and do wonderful things. Maybe you need to change as, the, as, as, as a teacher. So that's the first thing, really to try and influence uh, some sort of parity of voice within the, within the classroom. And then the second is to influence policy within the organization's HR policy. So, you know, onboarding, is there some sort of training for, for, for people people joining a new company to uh, understand personality diversity, because there's a lot of talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and rightly so. You know, we talk about all, all different uh, parts of that DEI spectrum. However, what is missing is personality diversity. 
and where every single human being on this planet has a personality type. It just seems bizarre to me that it's not discussed at that type of level. So yeah, HR professionals, line managers, when you're having your professional, uh, you know, your PDPs, I think they're called, you know, yeah. professional plan, yeah. um, your one-to-ones, you know, can you do some sort of personality quizzes or, or speak to uh, those elements of a person's personality to decide collectively the best course of action for their learning development. And so they, again, so they can thrive rather than just survive in, in the workplace. So, so that's twofold. I'm really going in, you know, the, the kind of education and, and, and um, workplace uh, direction. I think, uh, what's the line that we have from, from classroom to boardroom? Uh, that, that is that thread, that golden thread that I would really like to influence. And I have some wonderful people in my team that are supporting me on this journey. Absolutely, I can see that. Almost like it's the individualised conversation that can help everyone flourish. Because at the point of education, you know, we start imprinting, we start learning, we, you know, we're acquiring all these layers of expectation and need. And then by the time we transfer into the workplace, it's like, okay, I've been told I need to do this, but that's not really how I am. So you end up performing. And in the in a world that's talking about authenticity all of the time, does start in children. It starts in children. And we recognize it, you know, both you and I have got children. And how are you going about that? How are you encouraging people to be more aware, teachers, educators to be much more aware of that? So there are two speak up surveys on the Black Introvert Week UK website. And I just I, I realized I didn't mention the reason for the intersectionality between personality and race. And that is um, because there are very few, I think it's like 0.2% of the uh, C-suite in the UK are made up of, you know, Black Britons. And so it's like, okay, so the numbers are low there. and if 50% of the uh, 30% of the of of Britons are introverts we're now talking about over a million black Britons who are introverts and these are going to be like the the, the minority within a minority so it's that that is that's why there's a focus on inter- intersectionality between race and personality there um but to to go back to your your question yeah, there are two speak up surveys. One is for 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 teachers, and one's for all other sectors. And once we have enough data, I can then take that information to to think tanks, to the press, to to all of those areas of of society that either influence policy or influence people's perception, so that we can have a data led conversation about how we can shift the dial. Um, and and create more parity of voice for, for for introverts and extroverts in the workplace. I really I really feel that here in my heart. I really feel that. So, so I'm mixed race, and there is also something around that too. In a world where you know I've I've built women in tech, but like you said, there's much more nuance to that. You know, when you start unpicking, you look at the you know, the FTSE 100, and then you start going, okay, let's let's peel back the layers. Where, where is that? Where is that support through work, from education, through work, to 
elevates you know we talk about untapped potential all the time and there it is it's glaringly obvious isn't it it's not just around you know giving people a voice or helping them to communicate more it's it's you know where are we pulling all these gorgeous intellectual smart innovative you know people with ideas that you know where we pull all that from and there's a huge world out there that we're not tapping into I agree. And, and and organizations are missing out because, again, I'm sure there's data to suggest how much, how many billions or whatever they're missing from their bottom line or the, or the, you know, the GDP of the country could be benefited if we actually tapped into their potential, as, as you alluded to earlier. There's a, there's a, there's a cost, there's a cost to, to, to us, to society, but there's also this wonderful benefit and it's just trying to get organizations to to see it and and I understand we need the data you it's it's not enough to kind of bring this um uh, what's the word anecdotal uh, uh approach to to change you know there needs to be data there needs to be a business case and and we're working very hard to to, to achieve mm. this sounds amazing I can't wait to see what happens with that and, and do you do you think it could emulate out? So the future plan is once the the data has been captured, to yeah, as I said earlier, kind of really use that to influence policy at the very top, and then a network will have been created for for Black introverts if they want mm. to continue having a conversation, sharing resources, and the rest of it. I will no longer um, you know push the organisation and do all these panel discussions and the rest of it to to, to educate. We have the data; it's done. Now there's a community that can that can um, thrive and upskill others, and I yeah th- I definitely intend to branch this out and you know still keep it UK because because that's mm-hmm. my experience that's what I'm I'm aware of and you know th- again through through working with the Guardian and other um, wonderful organisations I am there happy to uh, inspire and and really encourage and uplift introverts everywhere regardless of what their protective characteristics are mm. so i love that you're building a community for them to have a platform and a voice and a shared a shared sense of purpose i guess and yeah sense of themselves so yeah lovely i know you talked about the nine to five so what about your role to play in internal comms the mission in, with internal communications is to make it more people-centred, share more of the stories that matter, help to break down silos. I work for an international organisation, so it's very easy to have that kind of myopic view of what your own team does. And I understand as well, with an international mind on, that there are some some regions that actually thrive in silo work rather than that kind of mm. matrix togetherness um which yeah totally makes sense however stories are as old as this human race and i would always encourage storytelling through internal communications to communicate our mission really let on um, uh, colleagues understand where they fit in the bigger picture what their cog how their cog relates to that cog over there and to celebrate and encourage and inspire and really create those internal ambassadors that can around a dinner table, you know, that you know, during the festive period, really t- speak with pride about what the organization that they work for does. Yeah, that 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 is my ultimate 
goal from from an internal comms perspective and incredibly important and I think you know where you talked about that silo work and whether it's an organization of 50 you still get silo working or a, a multinational you know global multinational that's got 20,000 50,000 100,000 people it doesn't matter you still get it in those pockets don't you because innately uh, and particularly with introverts, so I'd like to ask you that, but innately we like to go, I'm going to focus. We're told to focus. I'm gonna, this is my sphere of control. This is what I can see. I'm going to get on with it. And yet we miss the connections. You know, I spent my whole career going, you should go and speak to someone over there because they've got the same idea as you connecting. Oh, I didn't know they, they worked there. And that connection is really important. Mm. So going back to my question in the middle, how do you encourage introverts and quieter leaders to be part of something bigger and share their story to answer that actually i i need to go back to a previous role at the department for international trade so this was after i left down the street as Theresa may's videographer and they created a new role for me called head of leadership communications and what i discovered after meeting with each of the senior leaders within that group there was this um community of introverts who were reluctant to do any sort of internal communications and their reason being is because of this comfort zone area and and the feeling that they had to step out of it and everything had to be over video and face-to-face and blah 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 public speaking but actually there are different ways to communicate and people appreciate and absorb information in different ways so I will always encourage those who are you know have introvert preferences to first of all find their lane you know if your lane is writing uh, uh, some sort of thought leadership piece then we can start with that and if if it's more comfortable you can pair up with someone who is more extroverted and um, do some sort of video series where it's that kind of uh, oh, I think variety variety magazine do actors on actors where actors interview each other and you can have senior leaders speaking to one another about a particular topic um, that's relevant to, to to colleagues at the time. And so uh, when I used to work in that role, there was a series called In the Hot Seat. And, you know, as that suggests, it was a very kind of like quick fire, very short mm. um, uh, video series, which again was like an entry level for those more introverted leaders to to, to speak. Yeah, so it's it's just to recap, it's about mixed media, just finding out what their lane is, mixed, uh, well, mixing it up with other individuals of different personalities. And then, you know, collectively, we can then uh, take it to that level where all of them are in a group and there is like some sort of regular series that's happening, whether, you know, you can name it what you want, but I, I've always found it useful that if there's a structure in place, those more introverted can prepare something on the lead up to that. And then you get them to present in there in the, in the best way possible. Just as a quick caveat, I understand when the pandemic came, people had to really pivot mm-hmm. and just really move at pace. And you know, I, I was pleased to be there for those senior leaders at the time. And it's something that we all learned from. And now I te- I've carried into my current role as well. Thank you, Richard. Your top three tips for listeners who have an introvert preference you know who are quieter perhaps a little bit shy but have a have an inner inner drive they want to do something a bit more Mm. oh this is a good one 
top three tips. First one for me is if you haven't already, get yourself a mentor or a coach. And when I say get a mentor, I actually mean get more than one. So get a mentor that is both of introvert, you know, leaning personality preference and an extroverted one. Because what have what the introverted one will do, especially if they're more senior to you, is identify like the landmines that they've stepped on so you can just kind of dodge them on your way to your utopia summit and then the extroverted person is great because they can hold a new mirror up to 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 you and you get to see yourself in a different light and they can also open doors and introduce you to others others that you may not have access to because you're not as social so that's my that would be tip uh number one uh tip number two is to always continue learning so whether however you consume information whether it's reading youtube videos masterclasses, etc because as well as learning you will also surround yourself with other people who are also on the similar journey and you can actually make wonderful connections um there uh, i've done that many many a time uh, through both conducting and attending uh, various sessions and classes and the final one is be kind to yourself. So a lot of introverts are overthinkers. We are a bit before. I know I'm a bit of a perfectionist and nothing's ever good enough, even though everyone else is like, this is amazing. And um, <laughs> I think it's really important to just, just be kind. And, and one tip, one kind of sub tip for that is to keep an accomplishments diary or a folder in your email <clears throat> inbox where I call mine the Pharrell folder because of the song happy mm -hmm. and you know, every time I feel a bit rubbish, a bit down, or I don't feel so great about my work, I read those emails or I look through my diary and I think, you know what? Yeah, I'm awesome. And uh, yeah, so those are my, th my, th my three tips. Mentorship, training, achievements or accomplishments diary. I love talking to you, Richard. Thank you so much for sharing your experience and your thoughts and your tips. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me, Juliet. Really appreciate this. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening. I love to talk and work with people and businesses who want to achieve more. I challenge their thoughts to create possibility. Anyone can be part of the conversation. Leave me a message, ask a question and connect with me. 